Good morning. Well, you guys, I was hoping you'd have your day glow yellow jackets on. I didn't recognize you at all. <laughs> you got it? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. It's good to have you guys on board, too. I think that, do we just start supporting you, or has that been? Just started. And, and you've helped send us to Ukraine and Thailand in the last year. Cool. Well, Lord bless you guys. Have you, have you heard of, uh, of uh, we're supporting, who, who is it in, in uh, Cyprus, Greg? Um, Kathy. Ciccone, have you heard of her? Yeah, good. Okay. All right. Um, before we get to the word this morning, there are prayer requests on the, ba- in the, back, on the back of your chairs. If you fill those out, they'll go into this prayer bowl. We'll be praying for them right away, about 40 people. And then we'll also be praying for them throughout the rest of the year. Uh, it works out to be about once a month. Personally, privately, someone will pray for them. Also, there's a trumpet bowl up here. If the Lord's answered prayers, we would love to hear about them because it really encourages us in our praying. Also, the other thing I want to mention before we get into the Word, the tutoring station that we're, we're doing right now. We have 18 tutors and 20 kids currently. So we're thankful for this, but we have six children on the waiting list. So that means until we have a tutor, we can't bring them on. We would love to do that. So the school itself is ready to launch these guys. So if you would pray about the Lord using you, maybe you don't quite know what you're doing. That's okay, because none of us know what we're doing. (laughs) But the Lord will help you. It's the best place to be on the edge of where you need the Lord. So if you haven't, if you would just think about that, pray about that, these little kids twice a a week, just tutoring them in English and in math and in the Bible. It's a tremendous opportunity. So you can talk to Sydney or John and find out more about that. All right, let's go, would you stand? Let's go to Mark chapter 13. We're going to go through the whole chapter uh, sort of a flyover, and then we'll be go, coming back over it and doing some more in-depth studies as we go. So in Mark chapter 13, I'm going to read just verses 1 through 4, and then uh, we'll do a responsive reading. I'm going to pray for Israel also after reading this text. So here we go. Then as he went out of the temple, Mark 13, 1, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, what will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Responsive reading Psalm 119, we're up to chapter uh, verse 113 in these eight verse segments. I'll read 113 and the odd, if you would join together in reading the even verses. Every verse in this, in this longest chapter has the Word of God in it, so it's a great preface to praying and getting into the Word together. Here we go. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. So Lord, we love your word, we love your law. It's a light and a lamp, 
and how we need <laughs> man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Feed us, Lord, we are hungry. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, I ask the things I prepared, you break them fresh and feed us. Help me to communicate your heart from your word for your people this morning by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help us, Lord, not only to take it and hear it, but then to go do it like James tells us. Please, bless this time in your word in Jesus' name. Hold on, let me pray for Israel. Lord, we also want to continue in our prayers for Israel. The ongoing conflict, the West Bank, Gaza, all those places, we pray for peace. We pray, Lord, for healing for those who are grieving those who are injured. We pray for the believing brothers and sisters to look to God as their source of safety, security, and peace. Please, hear our prayers, Lord. Ask that their faith will shine brightly, all those who are your people over there. The wisdom and discernment that comes from you for them. We pray for the, the parents over there, the people that are having to make some very difficult decisions. Please, we pray for the lost. We know, Lord, a lot over there don't know you. Those that are Jewish, those that are Muslim that don't have a complete view of the God of the, God of the, of the Bible, please. So, Lord, bless our time now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I considered we're going to be, on Wednesday night, we're doing a, a series now, what in, the, what in the world is going on? A biblical worldview, Bible prophecy, and biblical response to the current event, to current events. So we're doing that Wednesday night, launched in because of what's going on in Israel. It's interesting that we're in Mark 13 this morning because this is, this is also a prophetic chapter where Jesus is answering this question of the disciples, when will these things be? Well, when will these be fulfilled? So I consider the title that I know would be an attention grabber, 24 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 24. <laughs> what do you think? Should I say 20 to 24 reasons that Jesus will return in 2024? Now, there's an actual booklet written by Edgar Weisnot, I think is how you say it, who was a rocket engineer for NASA. These things went out in mass numbers. Here was the title, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. He said that the rapture would happen on September 13, 1988. It raised $200,000 in profits for the publisher, which was the World Bible Society in Nashville, about 4.3 million copies of the book were distributed, including more than a million that were given away. When it didn't happen, he wrote another booklet, The Final Shout, Rapture Report 1989. So I'm thinking that the 89th reason in that was because it didn't happen in 1988. <laughs> so it moved to 1989. And then came the reports, 1990, 1991, 1992. After a few of these publishings, he said he isn't planning any more books about the rapture or the end of the world. This is what he said. Now I can stand in front of the Lord and say I gave it my best shot, unquote. Now, if he would have continued, his 2000 edition would be zero, zero reasons why the rapture will happen in 2000. And then the next year, he could start all over again. How do you, what do you think? And that's the, that's the nature of prophecy. One, and it's this question, when will these things be, is an innate, natural question for everyone, believer or non-believer. But knowing that the word is 25% prophecy, so much the more for the believer. So the question the disciples ask is, when will these things be? Three things, if this helps you. 
Such things must happen. Secondly, Jesus said, I told you all things beforehand. And third, when you see these things happening, know that Jesus is coming soon. So such things must happen. So do not be troubled. There will be a lot of trouble. I've told you all things beforehand. You will see the Son of Man coming to gather his elect. Can you say amen? You will see that. Third, when you see these things happening, take heed, watch, and pray. That's how he ends this, this chapter. So this is a flyover. The disciples question, tell us, verse 4, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? This is known as the Olivet Discourse because of where Jesus was when he gave this message. He was looking over the city of Jerusalem, seated on the Mount of Olives. He saw the great temple that Herod had built. And just, a, and just listen, in just a couple of days, he will be crucified. This is an important time right now, this question. A fuller account of what Jesus said to his disciples is found in Matthew 24 and 25, as well as Luke 21. So to really understand this, you have to take in these passages, combine them to get a bigger picture. Not the complete picture, because there's a lot of prophecy outside of it. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Take these chapters and give it a thorough going over. Now, Ray Stedman said this, quote, Each of the gospel writers selects certain things he wants to emphasize. Matthew makes a great deal as to what will happen to Israel. Luke is the only one who tells of the fall of Jerusalem and the subsequent captivity of the Jews and the domination of the city by the Gentiles. Mark, on the other hand, note this, emphasized the danger to faith which is going to arise in the age which follows the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. So he said, watch and pray. Take heed, watch and pray. Mark is emphasizing this danger to faith. So, Jesus makes this remarkable statement that kicks the whole thing in. In verse 1, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now look at what Matthew writes. His disciples came to up to show him the buildings of the temple. So they're saying, isn't this building incredible? They're in awe of it, and rightly so. Jesus, and Jesus said to them, do you, do you see all these things? Yeah, it's fantastic, but let me tell you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Same thing that he said was recorded in Mark. In Luke, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So the same, Jesus in, in three gospels is telling them the same thing. The destruction of Herod's temple in 70 AD was under the, the Roman commander Titus. Its construction started in 20 BC. So at this time, Jesus giving this prophecy... It still had another 18 years till completion. It was not finished until 64 AD, only six years before it was destroyed. 180 feet, its grandeur was a hundred massive structure. It's 180 feet high, 18-story building with 130-foot high brass gates. 
built of white marble, covered with heavy plates of gold, top and all the way around. Today, worth, that gold would be worth over $4 trillion. The gold would shine in the sun so much that you couldn't look at the building. Its stones were some of the greatest stones ever measured. Some of these stones, visible today, are estimated to weigh about 400 tons. They were 47, some of them were 47 feet by 8 feet by 18 feet thick. The mystery of the marvel of how they cut it is still unknown. How do they cut these things? And they fit together so well that you couldn't get a knife blade in between them. Its destruction in 70 AD, Titus destroyed it. Many Jews fled into the temple as a last fortress from the Roman army. Titus ordered that the temple not be destroyed. We'll just wait them out. They'll have to come out sooner or later. As the account goes, some drunk soldiers accidentally set the temple on fire. The heat was so intense that it melted the gold, which then ran down in between the stones so that Titus ordered the temple to be taken apart stone by stone to collect the gold for Rome. What seemed a ridiculous prediction turned out to be literally fulfilled. That's not hard for God. Things that seem impossible for us are very possible for God who knows all things. So imagine all the human effort, all those hours and hours of work, years, planning it, building it, and in a matter of just a couple days brought to nothing. So it reminds me we always need to be praying and watching. We need to be taking heed to pray and watch. Lord, teach us to number our days. What am I doing with my life? How am I spending my treasures? What am I doing with my time? Teach me to make the most of my time and my talents and my treasures that, Lord, you have given me. We don't know what's going on in the future, but we do know right now we are your people. I'm your man. Please help me to number my days that I may know how frail I am. It's going to come to an end. That I may have the wisdom that comes from above in doing these things. Teach me, Lord, to be circumspect. The word circumspect means get the big picture. When I was in driving school, they always say, get the big picture. How do you do that? You look in the rear mirror. You look in the side mirrors all the time. You look and you get in the... Lord, teach me to be circumspect. Teach me to be vigilant. To not give in to some of these things. To always be about the business of the kingdom of God. The things of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is the power of God unto salvation. It is the message that changes. It's a treasure we have in this earthen vessel. Help me not to waste one more moment, Lord. One more talent. One more treasure. But Lord, help me to invest myself in the things of spiritual substance and eternal significance. So the disciples say, when will these things be? These are questions that every disciple is still and we should be asking. When will these things be? For 21 centuries, followers of Jesus have been asking this question and anticipating, as they and we should, that he is coming in our lifetime. And what would we say to that? Well, John said, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Each generation of thought that they were seeing 
these seasons of events that lined up with some, in some way, in some sense, to Jesus saying, this is what you're going to see. When will these things be? This is what you'll be seeing. It seems to me that we don't have any problem doing that today. Looking at what's going on, we'll read a little bit this morning, then as we get in, that right now, as you look at our world, would you say that we're in trouble? Would you say we need a Savior? Would you say we need Jesus to come back on his white horse triumphantly as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's going to put down every enemy, and they're all going to be under his footstool, and we will reign with him for, forever and ever as his servants, as his kings and priests that he promised of, and I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We need you how we need you. But now we need him to walk out this thing called faith in such a way that we're not wasting our time. We're not wasting our talents. We're not wasting our treasures. But they're being invested in things that matters. Now in Matthew, we read this. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? Notice, and of the end of the age. So we get some facets of what they're asking. When's it going to be all over? Luke, so they asked him saying, teacher, but when will these things be? And what, what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? In other words, when will these things start happening? And when will these things be over? When will it all culminate? I'll tell you when it's going to all culminate, when Jesus rides back and us with him. So when will these things start happening? When will these things be over? Well, he tells us in this chapter, verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 11, when, you, when they arrest you and deliver you up. Verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation. That's when. And he said in verse 28, when it's branched, when he's giving that parable of the fig tree, when it's branch has already become tender. Verse 29, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that it's near at the doors. Verse 33, take Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. So there's things we know, and there's things we don't know. Verse 35, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Well, when will these things start happening? I highly recommend to you Pastor Jack Hibbs, because his, his title of this the thing he does on Wednesday night is called Happening Now. If, and many of you know Jack Hibbs. In fact, I think Jack Hibbs is our greatest advertisement. Well, we're watching Jack Hibbs at Calvary Chapel, so it started coming here. I'm better looking than Jack Hibbs, but, you know. <laughs> I highly recommend, he just, he, Amir Safari, he, he interviewed him recently. It's, in, it's so incredible how the Lord is using him, and has been, really, he, he started to rise a little when that whole pandemic hit. Now, in this whole thing that's going on in Israel, he's been tuned into that for a long time. And now he's giving these updates. They're fantastic. I highly recommend that you watch him. So, number one, such things must happen. Do not be troubled. There will always be trouble. And Jesus answered them, verse 5, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and, he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. So this thing's going to be happening, but it's not end yet. 
For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. When a woman goes into labor, the pangs increase with regularity and frequency. The same picture, the beginning of sorrows. It's birth pangs. Jesus says in a world full of trouble, the disciples will not be troubled. Wow. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no way that's going to happen. Now, there are those that go around blindly thinking there's no trouble. There's a lot of trouble happening. And the greatest trouble will be when you stand before God without the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you met him? Do you know him? You see, I'd be remiss not to call you this morning say, do you know him? Do you understand the trouble that you're in without a Savior? Do you understand the trouble you're in in not being able to, feel, to make that leap to know God apart from Jesus coming, dying on a cross to make a way for you to know him? And, the, and this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ himself. Have you made that decision? It's the decision between death, life and death. It's the decision between despair and hope. Decision between unbelief and belief. And the power of God and his promises to each and every one of us demonstrated at the cross, proved to us. He demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you made that decision? Do you know him? You see, do not be deceived. There is no other way except through Jesus Christ. Such things must happen. Now, through this chapter, many times, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. It's a given. Such things must happen. Nations will rise against nations, and kingdom against kingdoms, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. So he says, watch, verse 9, but watch out for yourselves. In other words, be prepared. Watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to council. They will, you will be beat in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony. Now he's speaking to his disciples. This is directly related to what they would be experiencing. But so is it true for the believer in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 10. And the gospel must be preached to all the nations. Preach the gospel. Be prepared, preach the gospel. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand. Be at peace. God is with you. Be at peace. The prince of peace. There is no peace without him. Now he says, or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Are you not thankful for the Holy Spirit of God? That is not saying we're not prepared. We have to be prepared. We have to be preaching the gospel. We have to be at peace knowing God is with us. But then to understand that the Holy Spirit will give us whatever we need at the time we need it. I'm saying, yeah. That's what, when we're facing the things of this world, we need to know the Holy Spirit of God is in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us to live this life to follow after God, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, to walk in victory over sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to walk in victory in a landmine, in a world that's full of landmines. That's why Peter, uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, 
shod your feet in the armor of God. Shod your feet with, feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, make sure you have your, your gospel shoes on so you can walk through any territory and not, wor not worry about being harmed from being able to walk further. Now brother will betray brother unto death and father his child. I mean, these horrible things. Children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake. Nobody likes to be hated. And yet we're seeing hatred like we've never seen it. Spewing out of these demonic religion. Indoctrination. Hideous, horrible stuff. Notice, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. All these things are going to happen. This is what will be taking place. This is what will be the sign. Listen, Jesus will be with you to the very end of your life. He will not leave you or forsake you. Paul the Apostle's final letter was to his beloved Timothy. He said, man, this guy's going to pack this out with things that were important. In, in chapter 2, and there, his last words are filled with emotion and devotion and conviction. He knew his earthly life was almost over. So that's his last letter. In 2 Timothy 2, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. He says they're even to the point of change. But the word of God is not changed. Paul's whole focus was getting the word of God out. So people could hear it and learn it and know it. I may be chained. The word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. We'll talk about the elect in a moment. That they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He doesn't know who the elect are. He's just out preaching the gospel. He made his lifelong goal. In chapter 2, verse 11, this is a faithful saying, if we die with him, we should also live with him. If we endure, we should also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Aren't you thankful for that? But you have carefully followed my doctrine, chapter 3, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened at Iconium, at, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which per, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I, it doesn't matter how difficult it is. God will deliver. Now, how he goes about that is very different. What he allows can be much more difficult for God's purpose. Look at Job. He went through the ringer. What was he what was God allowing? He was allowing for his purposes, the demonic realm. Paul, the apostle himself, said, a messenger of Satan was given to buffet me, lest being exalted above measure. So we have a demonic, these, these, this realm of spiritual warfare. So in verse 12, he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, that should be in your promise box. All those who deliver, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do not be deceived. But you must continue in the things you heard 
which you have learned and have been assured of knowing, of knowing from whom you've learned that from childhood. You've known the Holy Scripture will make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, listen, you know it, I know it. Teach your children the Word of God. Fill them up with it. Give it to them one side and, and, and one, up one side and down the other. Knowing from your life, from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Do your children know the Holy Scriptures? Are they hearing the Holy Scriptures? Are you giving to them the Holy Scriptures? All Scriptures give by inspiration of God. It's for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly equipped to endure persecution, endure suffering, thoroughly equipped because God's Word is our spiritual food and by which we are strengthened. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every time, you, I've said it a million times, I'll say it again. Every time you read that word, God is speaking to you. Every time you hear the word of God, God is speaking to us, speaking to you. How can you go wrong? You can't. The devil would think, ah, it's just an old book. Got a lot of problems to it. Set it aside. Just go after the wisdom of this world. Just go after what these people are saying. You don't, don't allow that. All Scripture is, is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped. He says then in verse 2 Timothy 4, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, get your gospel shoes on, keep fighting the fight, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering the time of my departures at hand. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. You can, you can just see the tears in his eyes. I'm already, he says, I've already been poured out as a drink offering. The drink offering was simply something poured onto the sacrifice and the aroma went up to God. Our lives are but a vapor. They need to be poured out in the sacrifices that we make to God. And it goes up as an offering, a, a aroma to him. I have fought the good fight. Are you fighting a good fight? He says, I, he says, I have finished the race. <laughs> How many of you long to be done with the race? Finish the race. I've kept the faith. And I think he's saying, finally. Finally. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to also to all those have loved his appearing. See, we're talking about this coming of Jesus. Verse 14 of our text, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. This is the starting point of the last three and a half years of God's judgment on, on rebellious planet earth. The abomination of desolation. Daniel said this, verse 27 of chapter 9, critical, crucial prophecy which we'll get into later. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. Seven years, three and a half years. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even un until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Second Thessalonians, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not, will not come unless the, fa the falling away comes first. And then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This abomination, when he goes into the temple, says, I'm God. 
It's over. Or it's just begun. Some believe this was fulfilled in 186 B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes. The king of Syria erected an idolatrous altar in the temple of Jerusalem, sacrificed a pig on it, on the altar, to the heathen god Jupiter. Some look at it, that being the fulfillment. Others believe it was fulfilled by the, when the Roman soldiers in A.D. 70 went into the holy place to destroy it. That was the abomination of desolation. Some prophecies have a near future fulfillment and a far future fulfillment. I believe that's exactly what this is. We don't have time now to go into it, but the far future fulfillment is this thing that's going to happen called the Great Tribulation. Not going to be fun. So we'll take this up in a coming study. But he says, then, then let those who are in Judea and let him who's on the housetop and let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant. He's saying, hey, it's time to get out of Dodge. Time to get out of Jerusalem. And we're seeing what's going on in Jerusalem right now in Zechariah, that whole prophecy of it's going to become a cup of trembling to all nations. Are we not seeing that today? We are for sure. So Jesus said, I've told you all things beforehand. You will see the Son of Man coming to gather his elect. It's going to happen. He said, I told you all things before. In other words, you don't need to know anything else except what you do know. Now go live. For in those days there will, there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation of which God created until this time, nor even ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened those days. There will be a time of unparalleled tribulation on earth. Verse 21, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. You'll know when it's Jesus. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, there it is again, even the elect. It's going to be, in fact, I've been thinking about this as far as deception, because it seems, as I'll read in a moment, there's a lot of deception going on right now. I can't believe what people are, are saying that is totally illogical, irrational. It's insane. It's demonic. Eve was in a perfect environment, knew no sin, and she was deceived by the devil. Deception is powerful. So in this passage, in this chapter, he warns, do not be deceived. Know that we're in a spiritual battle. Do not be deceived. Know that when Jesus comes, you will know it. But there are many that will come in my name. So it's a time of unparalleled, not only tribulation, but deception. We're seeing it today. In 2 Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders... And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. That's the problem. Second Thessalonians, he goes on. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they, will, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. A lot in that, and we'll get to these in a, first, in a future study. So he says there, verse 23, but take heed, see, I've told you all things before. I've told you everything you need to know. Go live. 
But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fail, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in chapter 6, we're going to get a lot of details on this horrendous time in the, in the uh, life of the planet Earth. When one-fourth of the Earth is, is killed, not just once, just plagues and pestilence. This pouring out of God's wrath is described in seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Preceding Jesus' return, there will be these great cataclysmic upheavals that will upset the whole solar system, maybe even the entire galaxy. When God says, it's enough. Then they, then, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the furthest, farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of it. Then comes this climactic historical event, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We will see that. Jesus Christ coming again. Our great God and Savior, a great hope is in his return. And God has promised us so much that he's fulfilled. He is also going to fulfill, like he said, all these things will be fulfilled. We will be in a kingdom for a thousand years as his elect. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And do you know what happens at the end of a thousand years? Satan is loosed and raises up a whole army to fight against God again. You see, the problem is never God. The problem has always been sin. The problem has always been the heart of man. And this is the final proof positive of the negative. That God is good and God providing, yet there's still this rebellion of sin and demonic influences. So over a thousand years, we will rule and reign with him. So when you see these things happen, verse 28. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it's near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Know that it's near. Know all these things will take place. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. There are things that we know. There are things that we do not know. Take heed, watch, and pray as one who will trust God for what you don't know. And live for God in what you do know. If I need to know it, God will let me know. When I need to know, God will let me know. In the meantime, will I trust God and live for him? So take heed, watch, and pray as one who trusts God with all the things you don't know. Watch and pray. It's, a man, it's, a, it's like a man going, verse 34, going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch and pray as one who's on guard duty over the house of God, which is the church. We're standing vigilant together, on guard duty, waiting for his return. But in the meantime, we're on guard 
for the church. Watch, therefore, if you do not know, verse 35, when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowning of the roost, crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Listen, watch and pray as one serving God tirelessly. No matter what, to the end. Being on the alert. And then he says, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. He captures the whole thing. Here's the deal, watch. Watch and pray as one anticipating his soon return. And certainly we wait eagerly for Jesus' return. The disciples started watching as soon as their master left. Coming again. They understood that he would not be back right away. We understand that also. When that is, we don't know. But he hasn't come yet. Jesus' admonition to watch is that his servants are to watch and not be deceived. Don't train wreck your faith. Don't ruin or be robbed of your faith. Rob them, don't be robbed of all that Jesus Christ has done for you and done in your life and will yet continue to do that. Don't be robbed of that. Don't be deceived. Watch and pray. There are temptations and presses which assault the strongest believer. You may be tempted to start entertaining thoughts and resisting the Holy Spirit. Good thing, watch, pray. You may be tempted to wander on, onto the wide path that leads to destruction. Watch and pray, take heed. You may be tempted to stop walking in the faith, to stop trusting the truth, you are, we are to watch and not be deceived. It's disturbing how many Christians seem to be falling into immorality and iniquity. Turning away from the faith. Saying in effect, they no longer believe the Bible. And God tells us, take heed. Watch, pray. Do not be deceived. Again, Paul to Timothy, the Spirit expressly says, in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We're seeing that in pulpits today. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. That's one of those ugly lists. You go, yuck. That's what it's going to be like. Don't be deceived. Don't be sucked into those things, my dear brothers and sisters. Have they have a form of God, but deny its power. And he says, from such people, turn away. Don't be deceived. Don't be taken in by these things. We are to watch and pray and stay faithful to God. Don't not let this world of flesh or the devil turn you from the truth. Turn your heart even slightly from God. Make trips to the cross frequent. Don't let anything or anyone derail you from loving God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're to watch and pray and stay awake. And so in Romans, Paul says, doing this, knowing the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Getting close. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. It's an exhortation to me and to you as Christians. Don't be deceived. Watch and pray and stay awake. Walk with God. Stay faithful to God. Love God. Stay in the Bible. Stay in prayer meetings. Stay coming to church. Stay doing missions work. Just keep at it with God because the days are short. The days are perilous. They're here. First Corinthians, do not be deceived. He says there, evil company corrupts good habits. Who are you hanging out with? Who's your buddy? He says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Ephesians, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is no goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Jesus said, you're salt and light. You're to be preserving, and you're also then exposing the things of darkness by your life and how you live it. It's shameful even speaking of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed for whatever makes manifest, for whatever makes manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I'm speaking exhortively to myself and to you this morning. Brothers and sisters, we are going to be going through all these prophecies and all stuff. And it's, it's, it's curious, it's all saying, but really, the spirit of prophecy is Jesus Christ. When I think of what's coming on, what's going to be happening, what's my focus? It's laser on Jesus. It's laser on the gospel. It's laser on the word of God. And loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it's also laser on loving my neighbor as myself. By, their, by our love, they'll know that we're his disciples. He says, see that you walk in circumspectly. There's that word again. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And what I say to you, Jesus said, I say to all, watch. Ray Stedman says with one, can I have the worship team come out? With one sharp, arresting, ringing word of command, Jesus ends his message, watch. Would you say amen with me? Would you stand? Let's bring our, our hearts to God in song, and then I'll pray to close our service.